going on, people? Welcome to another episode of Dallas Den of Hoops. Back in the building with OP. Man, we got a laundry list for after time out segment. Seems like a whole uh, game worth of, uh, sorry, a list, a laundry list full of stuff. Um, we got the Kawhi ACL injury. We got um, Chris Paul out indefinitely, whatever that means with the whole uh, double dose, whatever impact that has on the duration he sits out. Scott Brooks, Stan Van Gundy. Uh, we got Rick Carlisle stepping down. We got Donnie Nelson fired. Oh, man, I, I feel like I'm missing stuff. Obviously, the Sixers blowing the 26-point lead. Uh, Kem Durant possibly having one of the three best games I've seen in my lifetime in terms of the playoffs. And also the Milwaukee Bucks deciding, hey, we're going to make him be the best one-on-one -on -one player in the world, which he pretty much is. So uh, what do you want to talk about in terms of ATO uh, segment? Because obviously, we I have a laundry list of things. Um, but how, how do you feel about, uh, <laughs> what you want to talk about? <laughs> um, I think we can, let's start with the boring stuff first. Well, actually kind of the, the coach, the coaching changes, man. Like, cause, and then we can get into the funner stuff after, like, to me, like we got Stan Van Gundy gone. We, you know, mutually agrees to part ways. He got part ways. We had, you know, we talked about Terry Stotts before. Um, and now we have. Carlisle gone and it just and it's what's wild about this is we have GMs who are firing their coaches one season into contracts or in Carlisle's case he was the third tenured coach in the NBA like only Spolstra and Popovich had had more time and if you read the athletic report um, about them there was some infighting going on between Carlisle not really liking how Luca's attitude was um Luca feeling uh feeling like uh Don Nelson wasn't being treated with respect um, honestly, like it's, and then Cuban going out there and lying. And then two days later coming get you know, those two guys that were mentioned in Porter are now gone. Uh, so the coaching changes were the ones that stood out to me the most. Cause we got two organizations that I feel like are the biggest crossroads in Dallas and new Orleans. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think the, I think Bomani Jones actually said it was kind of weird that, uh, especially with the dynamic, you've talked about new Orleans being pretty much a, a city that kind of isn't as big or isn't as wealthy as you think. And you said, Hey, they've decided to say, Hey, we're going to go with, we're going to go without Stan. Uh, Teresa Weatherspoon is one of the candidates. Seems like she's a strong candidate. How do you feel about the uh, women getting a chance? Cause I've heard Marcus Thompson even say he hopes this, this isn't like the new uh, Rooney rule where we're saying, Hey, we're just going to interview you and that's it. Hey, we did it. How do you feel about these uh, women? It's, it's her. You got Don Staley uh, being rumored for Portland as well. And then you've got um, Becky Hammond, of course, being in consideration. I mean, like, like I, I think, yeah, there is a danger of it becoming the Rooney rule where their names just kind of get thrown around so the NBA can kind of pat itself on the back and say, look how diverse we are. Look how progressive we are. But until a coach actually gets hired, um, then, you know, just right now, it just it's a good, it's a good first step. Um, hopefully one of the women get, get one of the jobs that is available. Um, I'm sure they're more than qualified. They're both, all three of them have been pros. Don Taylor, we've talked about it. She was literally an all-star coach and an all American type caliber coach at the same time. So more than qualified. I don't think Don's going to leave just because South Carolina apparently looks, apparently the re recruiting class is like super stacked this year. So I doubt she would leave, but like the opportunity to go coach in Portland or go coach Zion, um, or, you know, or go coach Luca, 
you know, for it just feels like it'd be way too enticing. Um, but yeah, in terms of the women, hopefully they get an actual clear shot and they're not being used just to hire the same old dudes. Or maybe we just, and even if just like, just the idea of not recycling these coaches, right? Because Stan Van Gundy, love the, the guy, but you know, he's been recycled three or four times. And it seems like whatever his message was, despite his X and O's and acumen, just doesn't seem to be getting to today's player. Yeah, it's true. And I, I think um, it's definitely, a, hopefully a trend in the right direction. Hopefully you don't see, hey, we interviewed you. That's all we got for you for today or for whatever uh, duration it is. Uh, also, I talked about injuries. You know, LeBron obviously had a lot to say about it. Even, I know people probably laughing at it, but he, he was saying this back in December. He didn't wait until, hey, I'm out of the first round with a high ankle sprain. My co-star is dealing with a, who knows if he had a tear in his groin with how AD uh, looked in that series. But Kawhi out, obviously Chris Paul, that COVID situation is very sticky. What's your take on ter in terms of the duration of the season? And you and I definitely had our uh, agreement in terms of, hey, this seems like it was a little rushed. Well, I always felt like January was a more appropriate date. The NBA was – the NBA – and honestly, the NBA PA, because they agreed to this um, yep. leadership, right? So speaking of Chris Paul, uh, they agreed to this, right? And, and the idea behind it was they were trying to do two things. One, try to recruit any losses that they had from the, from the season that got nixed by the, you know, COVID by the COVID. And then on top of that, you have a situation where they're trying to get back to normal and, and have a season that starts in October. And the third one, which I hope wasn't the case, which was trying to make sure that the NBA players got to play in Tokyo. Cause like, I don't think anyone's like, we need to see Tatum play in Tokyo right now. I don't think anybody was really like clamoring for that. I hope that's not the reason why we don't have Kawhi and we don't have like, we're going through injuries in our head. Like the healthiest team in the NBA right now is the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, right. Milwaukee. <laughs> or Milwaukee. Actually, right? but Dante's out too. Yeah. Dante's out, right? Like, so it's like, it's the Atlanta Hawks. Um, everyone's missing some kind of time. We've lost Hunter too, yeah. Hunter, we've lost KD. We've lost, um, sorry, we lost Harden. We lost who doesn't look totally right. When we talk, when we talk Milwaukee and Brooklyn, we can talk about him. We got Kyrie who hasn't played. We got AD who didn't play. We got MB playing on a torn meniscus. We have, all these guys, and then even Denver just looked broken by the time the series was done, which I think is a more of an indictment how bad Portland was, um, how out of gas they looked. And it just, you know, the NBA was always going to be in a rock and a hard place. And I know why they did what they did. And, and again, some of the players, I think, need to kind of check themselves. I know LeBron's been a vocal critic, uh, critic of the season, but the only thing is, like, the union agreed to this. Like, this is what they signed up for. Now, it might have been cut off the nose despite the face because, like you said, um, this playoffs, as good as it's been, and the basketball's been actually really good despite all of that. That's the one thing I will say. Um, not having the stars does feel like it's kind of tainted whoever ends up winning this championship. Yeah, and I don't want to put an asterisk beside it, but to me, I, I really think that uh, – and, I, you know, we've we talked about KD, what we're going to obviously uh, – as we go forward, but I'm kind of glad that he, we at least have him at least leading the charge. I know we've talked about the young guys. We've seen some things and beat has been a monster despite, you know, some of the fourth quarter stuff or, and a lot of that could be attributed to what you said. Cause I'm, I'm watching the game. He looks like a guy by the fourth quarter. He's like, man, I'm gassed or 
my body's like my knees sore and with a guy with a track record of it um I, i'm just really appalled by like you know and i think bomani jones kind of said it uh in terms of the vaccine stuff but to me i think it kind of goes hand in hand because you you got to be i think some the players got to own it in terms of hey uh you know what? Sometimes we got to sacrifice a little bit. And I don't mean that in terms of, Hey, like, I'm not going to tell a guy where to put his money, but in terms of your body, you, you talk about investing into yourself, investing to your game. They could have said, Hey, you know what? We're, we'll wait it out and we'll wait till January. But I guess, you know, money does talk as they do like to say. Yeah. Like the, and it, and, and probably what's happening is the rank and file, like the, like a guy like LeBron, Kyrie, KD, all those guys can sit out because they got Nike checks coming in. They got big contracts. You got guys at the end of the bench that make up more of the league that are probably the ones pushing back. But in terms of the vaccine stuff, I just think the the NBA kind of, the players kind of did themselves no favors. I think they should have contributed more to the vaccine rollout and push. I don't understand if you're getting vaccinated, why you're not telling people to get vaccinated in a country that, you know, coming from Canada where it's like, it's, you know, we've talked about this off mic about how hard it is to get a vaccine um, in an area. Sneakers raffle, bro. Sneakers raffle. Yeah. It's like getting some Jordan once, you know, you're going to say I got vaxxed um, next. And to go to the year about in the States where they're literally like, they're having to give it away and bribe people to get it. It's kind of unfortunate that some of these players didn't come out and say, Hey, get, get your vaccine. Cause it would, I think it could have made a difference in her terms of the, and LeBron was one of the guys who I feel like should have said it. I know he's very private about his health and everyone has their different reasons, but I'll be honest, like outside of people like maybe autoimmune disease or something like that, I'm going to be blunt with you. Like every, every counter I've heard to not getting the vaccine has not made me think, Oh, that's a good point. Like every time I hear it, I'm like, that, that sounds like you're stupid. And I, and you know what? And, and as somebody who works in education, I would never say this to a student, but I will say this to an adult. Some of you guys are dumb and like, we need to stop being stupid, but that's a different conversation. And I think, you know, with the protocol situation, apparently if he's vaccined up, which means he has the worst luck in the entire world. Cause it's so hard to get the, you know, to get it. Um, which means like he has it probably and that that might mitigate how long he might only have to sit out a week because it's harder to transmit it if you have the vaccine. Um, and depending on if he has the Delta variant and all kinds of stuff, just Chris Paul's got like, he has to have the, if he got double vaxxed up and he still got COVID, like that guy has the worst luck of any NBA player of all time, I think at this point. Yeah, I mean, he went, he was pretty, pretty much played the most games in Houston, uh, without making the conference finals, looks like they're gonna seal it. Blows uh, blows out his hamstring, and now uh, he got the COVID. So you know, hopefully, you know, I, I pray that you know, all jokes aside, that he's fine because we always talk about how Chris Paul is like he, he's a top five point guard of all time, perhaps even higher, depending on what you uh, think in terms of that. But he's had some of the best seasons as a point guard, but unfortunately, hasn't resulted in that cherry on top and at least getting to the final. So I hope. This time around, it looks like this is his best chance to do that. Oh yeah, this is this was his best. Te- this is the best team he's probably been on. Uh, now, I don't know if his best team because I think those Clippers teams are really good. They just we could talk about that. They might have been the problem. Might have been who's on the bench um, the whole entire time as opposed to who was on the floor. But those Clippers teams, I feel like I put a little bit of 
above this. I don't know where Phoenix would have been if the West had actually had been the West we thought we were going to get. But they're special. They look like they're coming. Uh, Chris Paul's got those guys organized. He can be the OG on that team. So, um, yeah, hopefully they can get to a finals. I'd love to see him get to a finals. At least this is the first time he's been in the conference finals. Like, so, like, him getting there. Second, yeah. Second time, sorry, getting there. So this is an opportunity for him to really, you know, make his mark, at least have one last hurrah. Because he's been the best, you know, best guard in this era. I think hands down, I don't even think it's close to being the – he's been the standard for point guard play. I mean, Steph is a better player, but, I mean, just in terms of pure point guard, I think Chris has been the best guy in this era. Yeah, and before we wrap this up, I had a question for you because there's been some – speculation and been some rumored reports Zion Williamson and of course Luka Doncic uh Doncic said hey I'm still taking the money but y'all gotta get this stuff together and then you got Zion Williamson uh I mean we kind of speculated this when the draft the mock draft came out that he's like damn I gotta go there but apparently people in his camp and his family saying hey like we need to do better we need better and maybe he's feeling that way because he's on his third coach in three years. So I, what's your take on this young crew, one, having the power, and two, having this turmoil so early? Well, Luca, like, he's not going to say no to the Supermax because that would be stupid. Like, But that second deal, like, you know, the way the NBA works is, like, you guaranteed a player for probably his first six years of his, like, career, maybe seven, maybe eight. And then after that, it's like you're on the clock. Um I think the Luca situation just comes down to like either way, the roster needs some reconstruction. And if the, if it's true that, you know, Luca's the kind of guy who's showing up Carlisle, that's not a good look either. We've talked about how he's kind of been, you know, Carlisle's, you know, the last, and you know, Carlisle's has issues with point guards before he shout out to Rajon Rondo. Um, so those strong personality types. So maybe they need to bring a guy who's more player friendly who understands today's player a little bit more and you know Carlisle went from a guy like Dirk who probably never complained and just carried and speaking of Bomani talked about this I think we kind of because people tr tried to turn the 2011 Mavericks into a joke about LeBron and made it all about LeBron um didn't realize like what the hell Dirk Nowitzki was like how special he was and how you know like one of the baddest men on the planet and, and went made one of the most craziest runs of all time. We talked about it all the time. He went through the heat, he went through the Lakers, he went at defending champs, went through the Thunder. He went through, I think it was the Blazers. Portland. Yeah, Blazers. And yeah, that was a pretty good team too. He went through like probably the toughest road to ever without another superstar beside him because Jason Kidd wasn't the same guy. And now going from that dude to a guy who's young, who's malcontent, who's been a, you know, a child star, who's, who's only known success since he was like 14 years old and now is finally hitting his head against the wall. That's an adjustment. In the case of Zion, I mean, it's so far the reports are his family, some of his family members want out. I mean, I don't know what that is, and I don't know how much to do with it. I just know that that's not a good look as an organization. If if you lose AD and then Zion leaves before he even re-ups, that would be it. I, I don't think New Orleans basketball would, like, I think that would kill the potential for it to be not to move, but it definitely would hurt the brand because that's that would not look good because they had Chris Paul lost them, AD lost them, and now Zion. Yeah, and uh, to me, I think uh, both teams need to really restructure, get some st stability, especially with uh, Zion. Um, 
obviously he, he you can even argue he hasn't really had stability in terms of his basketball career like he obviously jumped right into the spotlight and he's handled it well he's dumped into the spotlight uh he goes to duke plays for a legend in coach k um that only lasts one year and now all of a sudden you're telling him hey uh, you know summer league he wasn't really in the best shape but then he finally starts to play you see some things and then there's kind of like hey we didn't play him enough or this and that maybe they didn't handle his rehab properly and now it's hey who's the next voice because like you said um you know you look at guys like lebron um in terms of like older guys they had some coaching changes uh, but even like him or even kd they at least had some guy you know they had your boy mike brown in cleveland but at least there was some stability at least in both cases yeah in the case of and even lebron's first goal like silas was just Silas just had been there too long. He didn't even get pushed out. It was just like he had been there forever. And the team had kind of just been like, all right, he's done. But, like, in general, yeah, like, in, in, you know, KD had Scott Brooks for years, right, until he finally left, until he left. Like, so it is important to have stability. Though, mind you, you know, MJ had plenty of coaches before he got the field. So, like, it all depends, yeah. right? Like, we, we don't talk about Stan Allback. We don't talk about Doug Collins. Uh, we don't talk. I think there was one more coach. I think I'm forgetting in there. There might have been. And then he finally gets the fill. So it it all depends on getting the right pieces. In New Orleans cases, if they're not B.I. and they're not Zion, as far as I'm concerned, and Josh Hart, who I love, everybody else can go on that roster. We all we talked about what Dallas's issues were in the last pod, where they definitely need at least one more wing to help uh, Luca out. And Luca's got to get into better shape. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's season of turn. We're going to see what kind of owner Mark Cuban really is and, and whether he's actually about it, because if he blows this, um, then it kind of looks like he just got lucky with, you know, falling into Nash and then losing him. And then yeah, go on. Sorry. I'm actually thinking, cause you, it's funny you say that. Cause he brought up a point I was actually thinking of earlier. He also had that, uh, harassment case going on as well. Cause you, you talk about him, uh, in terms of workplace, if there's no stability there and this guy's literally, there's no hierarchy in terms of accountability, uh, who's the voice, who's um, ho- who's holding people accountable from a business or basketball or, or workplace perspective, then to me, that's not healthy to be around. No, and, and they have Bob Valgaris, who's kind of like a sports gambler kind of guy who's running their organization. And it's not like analytics are bad. I'm not going to go on a Charles Barkley reference, but the rant but like the idea behind analytics is you can have all the numbers and stats but you need to be able to communicate them clearly and concisely and a lot of these guys not a lot of these guys but some of these guys know how to deal with numbers but they don't know how to deal with people at the end of the day people is what makes up this sport and in the case of the NBA, it's de- it's it's even more important because these res- these the resources are the actual people on the floor. And if you can't convey that, and if you can't articulate yourself, it doesn't matter if you're right. You got to be able to make sure your delivery is just as important. Yeah, it's true. And I, I really hope that both these teams can get it together because we definitely, like I've been saying, you know, KD's obviously been an established guy. He's come to the forefront, but we need that next generation to have some stability to eventually lead the, the the new wave. But on to our walkthrough segment. We're going to talk about the aforementioned KD. 49 points, what, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, doing his best, uh, you know, LeBron, Magic, Mike, whatever. I'm the best player in the league at, at this moment. 
There's nothing you can do about it. And to me, I, you know, watching this game, it was very frustrating, at least early, because it felt like, you know, and you and I talked about it, it felt like Milwaukee, yeah, they were hitting shots, but it's just like, man, KD hasn't really done anything yet. And then once that, like, second or like that eight minutes left, I want to say in the third quarter, he was like, you know what? Screw this. Jeff Green, you spotted me some buckets. Uh, I've gotten guys involved. It's time for me to go. And Milwaukee was not shrinking the floor on him. I, I you know, PJ, I, I'm about 6'5". PJ's probably like my height. I'm not saying I'm PJ Tucker, but I know if I was guarding him, I wouldn't, he'd be able to see over me. And I get it, PJ's like 250, but having a guy that little on him without shrinking the floor to make him make decisions, you're daring the best, arguably the best scorer ever most prolific score ever saying, Hey, we're going to put you on an Island. We'll be there with late contest. And I get it. Hey, people say, Hey, the numbers, he, I think he shot like something ridiculous, like uh 60 or not 60. I think he shot like 80% on contested shots. He shot 70 for the game. But to me, it's just, it, it's, it's stupid because you're saying, Hey, we're going to contest them late. And you, we, we've talked about it. You can contest late. That dude, as soon as he gets up, it's it's over. If you're not above is is the ball, you're 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 not gonna block his shot. You're not gonna influence his shot. And I just want to see the Bucks actually make some adjustments. Uh, even looking at some of the advanced stats, it seems like this isn't uh, isn't a huge sample size. But Giannis, in terms of defenders who've defended him at least for 50 possessions, he's held him, he's held KD to 40%. But then you watch the game, you watch the clips, he's off ball, stay, staying attached to Blake Griffin in the corner rather than, you know, bumping and getting KD off of his cuts and allowing for him to get easy baskets. And I just think it, as a collective, you know, I'm glad KD made them pay because I was just like, man, you're really daring this dude to do what he does better than maybe anyone ever. Yeah, it was, it was stupid how they played him. But in terms of like... Um, if we're going back to like KD, to me, it was the best game I've seen in the playoffs since LeBron in Boston. Um, it was better than that Jimmy Butler game uh, where Jimmy went toe-to-toe with LeBron. It was even better than the LeBron game in that Laker game, to be honest, just because he, I was saying, we were watching the game, like, this guy is clearly picking his spots. And I think it was the most impressive stat uh, is the 48 minutes. Like, he was like, I'm playing the whole game. Like, a guy who's come off an Achilles tear, him and Brianna Stewart, it's like nothing's ever, you know, happened to them. They're just like, I'm going to be better, um, almost, like, as better as, as I've ever been. That's the best game I've seen him play. He was just hitting everything, mid-range, high post. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about all that. And he just, you know, it was definitely the best game he's played. It's definitely one of the best games I've seen in person. Um um, live or otherwise, and just you know, all kudos to him uh, for just kind of showing everyone like I'm right, like right now I'm the best player in the world. There's nothing you can say or do about it, um, and just kind of owning the ball, owning the game. Shout out to Michael Jordan, just like you know, playing him on a on a playing like a puppet all game long, and there's nothing they can do about it. Now, the case of the Bucks, man, like you talked about this. There was two things I thought about. There's two things that Phil Handicap I sent you guys um, where he basically said, hey, what changed in the series? He goes, well, you know, we were down 2-0 in Milwaukee to Milwaukee. They're on the way flight back on the flight. And Nurse goes, hey, you know, we got, we got to adjust. We'll make some adjustments. We'll be back. Don't worry about it. And Kawhi goes, the adjustment is I guard Giannis. And he left. Series changed right after that. The Raptors don't lose again. Um, so, like, if you're the defensive player of the year and that dude is doing what he's doing, 
you have to step up and be like, I'm going to guard him. Like, I got to at least try for a couple possessions because clearly it does – what we're doing doesn't work. They didn't – they have a dude with one hamstring playing. They attacked on post. And they attacked him. They attacked him twice. And when they attacked him, like you are saying, they attacked him in the one thing Harden does better than anything. The, Harden is not a good defender. Not defending him. Not defending his defense. Except in the post where he actually cannot go at him because he's super strong. Like, he's one of the strongest dudes in the NBA. Ben Simmons even talks about it. He's the strongest guy he plays against. This guy plays against LeBron and Embiid, right? You know, just to go to show you, like, that's a strong dude. Let's attack him in the post. Let's put Broke Lopez in a drop coverage with KD coming off a screen and roll, who, who from the third quarter on hasn't missed. Let's not send a double until KD gets to 40 because, you know, let's get him warm. Like, it was just – it was as great as KD was. And I don't want to say this. It's one of the best performances I've ever seen from a player. And it was him saying I'm the best player in the world. It was more frustrating. It was equally as frustrating watching Milwaukee because at least when Boston was playing LeBron, Boston just couldn't do anything about it. They tried everything. They sent doubles, they sent waves, they sent traps, they sent zones. They were trying different dudes. They tried KG, they tried Paul Pierce, they tried Pritch. The, 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 the Bucks decided, like you said, to be like, how can we give a runway and a clean look at the basket to Kevin effing Durant, to the Slim Reaper? Like, let's give him the one thing he does better than anybody else in the NBA. It just, it, it was like, it was like, it's like saying like, let's give LeBron the dunk. Like it didn't make sense to me. Like it just it was, it was it was inferior. Like I, I was like, you know, we we're talking about it. Like I'm pretty neutral on this series. Halfway through, I'm like, I'm rooting for Brooklyn because I can't I can't root for an idiocy. Like I just need to go all in with the Nets because I can't watch dumb people lose. And they played stupid basketball for 48 minutes, just dumb. Yeah, man, you pretty well put there. Um, looking at the offense, um. The Milwaukee Bucks have an offense rating of 100. They're a top, I think, five offense in the league this year. You know, Katie's and another thing, he was two of uh, the Milwaukee was two of eight uh, shooting against KD. I think in the fourth quarter, he has a defensive rating of 96. That's good for the best on the team in terms of rotation guys, guys who actually play. Maybe Nick Claxton with 89, but even him, he only plays about. 10 minutes a game, I would yeah. say. Like, but in terms of their guys who actually play, KD's been their best defender. He's been their best player, period. Best player in the series, best player in the world, whatever you want to say. But my thing is, especially on offense, we looking at Milwaukee. You sent me this earlier. In terms of true shooting percentage, Drew Holiday shooting 49%. Eric Bledsoe shot 48%. Or sorry, forty. Uh, yeah. Bledsoe, yeah, Bledsoe shot forty-seven percent. Drew Holiday shooting forty-eight percent. Yeah, and shooting thirty-nine from the field in terms of that regular box score stuff. My thing is, why isn't Drew Holiday being himself? Because I feel like you know people have kind of said, hey, he's kind of cast himself as a two guard, but man, he just looks out of control. He hasn't got them into their southern. They're already tough when you know your best player in terms of the hierarchy really can't create his own shot unless he's like on the move. Well, I, I think with, like we talked about, the biggest problem that Giannis has right now, in regards if they even win this series, because they can still win the series. They're going home for game six, and KD would have to be lights out again. And, you know, not to say he isn't capable, but, it, you know, it would be hard to do it again, right? Um, 
the problem that they have with Giannis right now is his game down the stretch is he's bam out of bio. Like he's dribble handoff, bring the ball to the other side, which is fine if you're bam out of bio. Not if you're Giannis, not if you're the two-time reigning MVP, not if you're a defensive player of the year. You're not supposed to be that. You're supposed to be what Kawhi is, supposed to be what LeBron is, supposed to be what like KD is. That's the level we're holding you to, an elite standard. And his game right now is as bad as it's been for Bud. And I think the problem they have is, like you were talking about, I think their offense too much is predicated on trying to mismatch Hunt. Which again, playing a mismatch hunt game against the Nets seems stupid because you're letting him defend in space. Guys are guys are now just be able to guess when he does what he does. Giannis, yeah, very they know, they, they, yeah. you know, as he's dribbling, like dribble. All right, here comes the yo one two. I'm gonna take the charge, right? It's just like here comes the spin, spin, and he's right there. And it, because everyone knows what's coming and that the speed is coming at it's too easy to float. And like, even the other thing you're talking about, a couple things you could do. Middleton, we talked about this. There's one play where he had Kyrie, where Kyrie's still available. They threw the lob to him, the slip. They got Harden involved in no actions, no brush screens, make him defend. No tagging, make him yeah. throw, don't make him tag, make him <laughs> defend, make him even block out, right? Make him defend in space against uh, Drew Holiday or Middleton as opposed to Giannis. Like, all these things they could be doing that they just show, or even getting a switch and getting Broke Lopez in the post. Because even Broke Lopez is a better post player than Giannis is, right? So, like, it seemed it seemed like they were, and this is the thing with Bud, it's like, he coaches the same way, no matter what. And I, you can't do that in the playoffs. And, like, and even if they win, and even if they win this series, they still have a Giannis problem. Even if they fire Bud, I still think Giannis's game is still has too many holes to have true sustained success. They can win the championship, and I would still be like, oh no, like, that's <laughs> how I feel about them right now. Like it's just it it's it's fascinating how like you don't attack people in the ways that they clearly can't attack them. This people, I, it's almost like an elementary version of basketball. Like I'm gonna go guard this guy can't defend. I'm gonna go at him. Like no no. He can defend one-on-one if you're going to make one move. His problem is it's multiple actions they can't defend. They don't stake, They don't make second, third, and fourth closeouts. That's how you get them out of a circle. Did you? Let me ask you a question real quick. I know I'm being long-winded here. When did Harden ever have to make a closeout last game? Nothing. To anyone, yeah. bro. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't even make a closeout. When did you see him guard a switch? What did he have to show and recover? We didn't see a guy with one leg do that. He couldn't the make Willis a shot. Reed stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't even get it. He could, remember the floater he took? Like, every shot looked like it wasn't going in, which normally Harden is the opposite, where you think every shot is going in, and then he has a game where he misses everything. That was, like, as soon as you shot, like, he's not right. He's mm-hmm. not healthy. Like, and his, a hamstring doesn't warm up. Like, it, if it's tight, it needs to heal, or else it just gets – it gets worse. It doesn't get better. You can't sit because then it gets really bad. So like it, it was, it was the fact that Nash was able to get away with playing a dude with one leg 46 minutes. Like it's coaching malpractice. Like it's coaching malpractice. It was super frustrating to watch. And like I said, I went from like being lukewarm on the nets to being like, I'm all in. Like, I hope they win the whole damn thing. Now I don't care anymore. I hope KD tweets at all of us. 
Like I'm done. I'm done rooting. Like, I can't watch Milwaukee play because they were incredibly frustrating to watch, man. Yeah, and as I as we do record, I should remind those who will be listening. Uh, it is uh, Thursday evening, so it's right before the Nets and Bucks play Game Six. So maybe we do see some of the things that. Uh, yeah, which probably means like knowing our luck, God is gonna drop like fifty today, which I I hope happens. But yeah. prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong. But. <laughs> you talk about coaching miscalculation and you talk about analytics as well. Um, <clears throat> do you think there's been a miscalculation in terms of how his uh, Giannis's skill development has been? Cause I've kind of said it, I've watched it. I'm like, man, why is he shooting so many three? And I, I, I'm not just saying this with hindsight. I remember saying this, like people were saying, Hey, he's shooting 35% since, you know, this stretch, whatever, but it's, it's not a natural shot. You can see it. He is very, three motion he's seen at the line he's overthinking and do you think they really should have built his uh game post out because I really think that would have helped him at the line as well because maybe he would have been shooting more mid-range shots he would have been shooting more hooks just getting his touch just because I really think they really messed it up because I really hope that maybe this is his okay and I kind of thought about this today you know you had KD go to Golden State, you learn how to play without the ball, and, you, and you've seen him with the ball. He's a better decision maker. He's still not the best in terms of when teams overload, but he's still not as bad as he was in OKC. Some of it could be the lack of shooting there or whatever you want to attribute it to. But he worked on his game. He worked on the things, and I was always saying he should work on his mid post. That guy can score from everywhere now. He could score in, in volume before, and now it's that, and it's everywhere. LeBron, we talked about him not going to the post enough. He said, hey, you know what? The 2011 happened to me. He owned it. He even said it. He said it. He said, hey, you know, I came out of that and realized, is this that moment for Giannis? Or, or, because I really think, like you said, he has to really be real accountable, man. Um, I, You know, to your first question about the analytics, I think it's exactly what happened. Because uh, speaking of, like, the Thinking Basketball podcast, you sent me, um, you know, one of the points that was brought up, and I, I can't remember which one said it um, uh, on the episode, was like, it's literally the minute he starts shooting more threes, that's when his free throw percentage takes a dip. Yeah, it was, it was like, Surit, yeah. Thing, yeah, Surit said it. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was her or, the, or uh, what's the name of the guy? Anyway. Uh, ben Taylor. Ben Taylor. I couldn't remember Surit or Ben Taylor, but yeah, Surit. So yeah, like, I remember thinking, like, it was like, we, we kind of started doing this thing where we're like, we're like, he's a big guy and there's the three point line and let's, let's see what happens if he can start shooting threes. And it's like, but like, does he really need to shoot threes when he's six eleven? Like why, why can't big guys do big guy things? Like, cause the end of the day, the, the path we know, and everyone knows this, even the analytics guy know this playoff basketball is just not the same because guys aren't take guys are willing to take charges now guys are willing to fill lanes guys are willing to literally sacrifice their bodies in a one game in a playoff series as opposed to game 44 out of you know out of 82 or the fifth game in six nights and you're just like I'm tired bro like I don't I don't I can't do it I got a long season ahead of me so like I think his problem is like he's missed steps in the case of KD in the case of LeBron the reason why it is his 2011 moment for him or whatever you want to call it all those guys, LeBron and KD, were all successful. They got to a certain spot, and then they started to diversify their game, right? They realized, like, okay, well, KD, I always thought his issue was he was so skilled, it was almost like he started realizing as he got older that actually less is more. 
I'm actually more dangerous when I don't try to do three moves. I can do two and it's over. I can do one and it's over because I can get my shot anytime I want to. And then it opens up the rest of his game. In the case of LeBron, it was like you're saying, it was just trusting that if you can play out of the post the way you pass, the whole game's going to open up for everybody because if you're in the post, you can pass out of the post better than anybody else. Lights out, good luck, especially if you got a turnaround. In the case of, of Giannis, like you were saying, he doesn't even have a hook. He doesn't have a, a five-footer, a six-footer, something he can get to. He is so good and so athletic. If he just gets two moves, if he gets um, up and under, if he gets a hook and a counter and then the face-up, either reverse pivot and Dwight spin and finish or get a little shimmy or the hesitation Jimmy Butler, he just needs two or three of those moves because he's so long and athletic. He just needs to be able to get to the rim. But like you said, he lacks the feel around the post. He lacks the, 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 the skill set and his footwork isn't the best. And it, and it explains his free throw shooting because the footwork's sloppy and the footwork's sloppy at the line and the footwork's sloppy at the three-point line. So like, like you said, I, like to your bigger question, I, I do think he was the kind of guy that got pushed into, oh, this is the next phase. You shoot threes now. It's like, but we skipping these other steps. You're skipping the other steps in the process. And if you skip those steps in the process, teams will expose you, right? You find out in the playoffs what you can't do. And we find out he can't do a lot right now. Yeah, and it goes to show you that, hey, you know, like you said, playoffs are a different game, man. Uh, I know we haven't played in the NBA, but we can see it. We, we've seen the numbers. You can see it in the tape. And teams are going to make you do the things that you struggle with. They're going to, let's say you can't defend in space. We're going to run that to death. We're DeMonte Williams. You can't, you can't uh, communicate switches. We're going to run actions where, where there's equals. And I really think that, you know, Milwaukee and even him, like they just got to both say, Hey, whether win or lose, I, it, you got to say, Hey, it's gotta be, this has got to be something different just because the math isn't adding up here, but to move on talking about, <clears throat> the Hawks and the Sixers. This is another series I had going seven games. Um, had the Bucks in seven. I don't know if that if it does happen. I still don't even feel good about it. And in this case, if this is Sixers in seven, I still don't feel good about it. Uh, Sixers blew a twenty-six point lead. And looking at some of the notes in my phone, some crazy stats coming out of not just this game, but the last couple games of this series. Um, the Sixers have been outscored by 26 points in the last two fourth quarters. That's in game four and five. Combined one of 15 between Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Ben Simmons. And Ben taking zero shots, a good good for zero of zero. Uh, he's shooting 30% at the line. That's at the line, not from three. 30%, 12 for 39. Um, and just all the combinations, man. Um and you talked about this, you know, having, I think they had at one point at the end of the game, it was like Thibault, Simmons, Harris, Embiid, and uh, who's the other guard? Oh, man. I think Seth Curry. So it yeah, was like, you have one shooter and slash, he's kind of a creator, but he's not really a, no. a guy you want with the ball all the time. And then you have two guys who are pretty much, they're, they're cloggers in Simmons and Thibault. And I'd argue you would rather have Thibault on the court because they at least shoot the three. And defensively, I think he does more than Ben in terms of what they need in this series uh, with Trey Young. And to me, I just I, I watched that game and I was just like, how the hell do you lose a 26 point lead? Doc Rivers strikes once again. Every presidency I've, I've been <laughs> he's been around for 
Um, he's blown a massive series lead or game lead. Um, and, and Joel, he's balled out, but he just looks, man, he looks so gassed by the fourth quarter. I don't blame him. Like he's playing with a lateral meniscus tear, tear and people are saying, Hey, it's doable, but I'm sure it's painful. I said it. I, it looks week to week to me. I don't know how you can be day to day with a tear in your knee with a guy with pre-existing knee issues. Yeah. And, and there, their issues are like with Doc, it was it was similar to what happened in the bubble, right? And, you know, it looks like hashtag PG was right because there were no adjustments. They, they he insisted on playing Beverly and he insisted on playing Trez or he insisted on playing one guard at a time and he never tried to go with any wings. And if you look at that series and we talk about it, Lou has no problem doing that. Lou has no problem playing five guards if he needs to. Um, in the case of, in the case of, 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 of Doc, it just, it seems like there's so many lineups where it's like, there's a lack of shooting and there's shooting available on the bench. And it just seems like he's trying to like play like regular season rotation minutes. He's trying to hide people. Um, and like we talked about with Ben, like it's, it's, it's to the point now with him, another guy is just like, you know what, you're a liability uh, too much. It doesn't matter how great of a defender you are. Um, because somebody brought up a stat where it's like a, an interesting quote uh, made me laugh or somebody's like, well, tell me the difference between him and Tony Allen. And the person replied, Tony Allen shot 30% from three. That's the difference. <laughs> so it's like Tony Allen was at least trying to shoot. And like, it just makes Embiid's life even harder because now without the lift, you can sit in his lap. It's kind of like the Lakers with, with uh, AD went out where like they were just sitting on LeBron's like in, in his lap, the same type of thing is happening. They're out of creativity and they're out of thing. They can win this series. And again, another team where it's just like, you can't be this stupid two blown leads, one at home. Um, you know, you go through doc's resume and it, there's, there's a lot of like, like you want a title, but there's a lot. And you know, those early magic teams probably outperform they probably uh, got out of their weight class, but he's had a lot of disappointments from the Clippers to the, just there seems to be a lack of imagination and a, a, a really unfortunate, same thing with Budworth. Like these guys are good coaches, but they just feel like, okay, we'll just keep doing what we're doing and we'll get to a different spot. It's like, I'm going to keep walking left and hope I turn right. Like it doesn't make, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You're going to end up where you end up. And it just, it just, I don't have much more to say than that. Like, cause I think I spent all my money on Milwaukee. Just, I'm still mad at them. Anyway, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Even looking at the box score, um, you know, guys like Cork Moss, Shake Milton, like you got to use those guys. You got to get some creativity, get some scoring. You saw Shake Milton. I think he had like 16 points combined the first like six games of the uh, postseason. Then he had that, massive quarter i think you had 12 points or something like that in, in the third but just stuff like that because you can have him play off of joel you can have him play off of ben if you want to go small which I, he hasn't done he hasn't gone with ben at the five he's played dwight at the five he's played he's played combinations it's like what the hell is going on because as much as i i've talked about ben and his lack of shooting that dude can play the center spot with clint capella or john collins whoever it is he can match that Maybe he he isn't the best uh, creator, but you you can't really have and the, these all bench lines where Tobias Harris is the lead guy or he's with Ben. And even looking at the advanced stats, that was, that was I think their worst lineup. I think it was him. It was Tobias Harris, Joel and not Joel Embiid, uh, Dwight Howard, Ben Simmons, 
Um, who, and I think the other two was like Seth Curry and 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 uh, and Matisse Thybul. So you have three non-shooters on the court. Like just the lack of creativity. And, and shout out to Trey Young as well. I don't want to talk too much about Philly, but that dude, um, him and Lou in that fourth quarter were able to uh, attack gaps. It just seemed like uh, Philly was just Philly they just folded, man. Yeah, Philly looked shell shocked. I, I think uh, it's not about not taking credit from Atlanta. Philly looked like they just had seen a ghost, and they were just like, "This is happening again." And I, you, I think you totally agree. I think, I think when they go with Collins at the five and Capella comes out, I don't understand why you're not trying a lineup of Ben, Seth. Like to me, it's like you go Ben, Seth, uh, Milton, Kirk, Boz, and if you if worried about in and you bring like one more, you and you have Tobias, try it. You know, five guys who can handle the ball and play them around Ben, and then Ben gets to operate in the post because he actually has a hook, unlike Giannis. Like, you know, you can actually do those things. In the case of Atlanta, like, Nate McMillan, man, like, give him credit. Like, you know, he's a guy who's who's had a rep for not making adjustments, but, like, they're up 3-2 in a series no one thought they were going to win. It looked like after Other game, than Nikias Duncan. Yeah, like I had, you know, I, I know a lot of people after game two were like, oh, this is going to end in five. It looked like Philly had finally just solved the Trey Young issue and they were like, all right, we're good. But ever since it's been bad, man. So, and again, they could win this series and I don't trust them either. We could have, we could have our conference finals where it's Philly and Milwaukee and they're both teams where I'm like, I don't trust either one of you and I don't like either one of you. They could, and one of those teams could be a finalist or win it all and it's, if this isn't an indictment on the season, I don't know what is. Yeah, man. I just, like I said earlier, thank God for KD. Obviously, he's been at the forefront of things. Save us, KD. Yeah, hopefully he can save us, man. He's somehow become the, the hero after uh, yeah. the that whole Golden State uh, turmoil. But um, moving on in terms of looking at uh, Utah and the Clippers, it's kind of like a three-team thing because obviously – we talked about Chris Paul earlier. Um, Phoenix is still waiting on who's going to come out of this series. We had Paul George have some old playoff P vintage Paul George performance. Uh, had a monster game. He's had a monster series. Look at the, the shooting splits, 44, 42, 90 on 29 points, nine rebounds, four assists. Um, Kawhi Leonard obviously gets hurt. And he was having a monster, monster year. Um, and as I look at this article, uh, um, as I'm looking on 538, a great article I read earlier, he was having a, an historic series, season. And I'm just looking at the points per 100 possessions. He, there's only been 21 uh, players who've done this since the ABA-NBA merger. 40 points uh, per 100 team possessions. And on this list, um, you know, it's a pretty – talented list of guys you got jordan on there one two three four five six seven eight nine ten times on here <laughs> shout out to mike you got lebron on there twice you got harden on there in 2019 uh hakeem elijah on in that he he stole my trophy he has my trophy uh -huh. that year kobe yeah. in his last uh postseason is on there in 2012 you got 98 and Shaq, bernard king um uh, that's uh, and Dominique as well in '88. So he's on. He, he was on a prolific clip. Uh, what do they miss without Kawhi? Obviously, Paul George showed. Hey, you know, I'm still a special player. That double shoulder surgery. I had a fractured leg. I've come back from all that, and despite all the uh, trash talking, I'm still a pretty elite player. 
Yeah, I think with PG's case, uh, PG just took a bad rap on the internet just because he says weird and dumb stuff from time to time, and it started painting how we viewed him as a player, right, as opposed to, like, this guy's still a pretty good player, and he's been good all playoffs. Like, low-key, he's been good. He's had, like, one bad game, I think, in the Dallas series, and, the, and, like, he's actually been pretty good all playoffs. Well, Kawhi, obviously, I don't think they can win the title, obviously, without Kawhi just because of what he gives. We know what Kawhi is. Um, in Toronto, we know exactly what that guy is when he's healthy. He's a guy who can guard your – when locked in, he can guard your team's best player and give you 40. But we've talked about this. I think that load management stuff with him is just – I said it too, and Bomani Jones has said it. I said it in Toronto. I was like, I think he's really hurt. I don't think this is like some resting stuff. I think his body just just has – he needs to do it in order to get through a season. Um, in the case of the Clippers, I just think – you know, not to dwell on, not to tie them two together, uh, no pun intended, but I think having Ty Lu in there is the reason why they're doing so well because he's sitting Patrick Beverly down and like, I'm not playing you because you're Patrick Beverly. You're a walking mismatch right now. We're not playing you. I'll go with Terrence Matt. They've somehow squeezed the juice out of Reggie Jackson. Who I didn't think was going to be sustainable. Um, Utah's biggest issue to me is we've talked about this before is they always seem like they're a wing away a wing defender, Ray Royce O'Neal is a little bit too small for either PG or, or Kawhi. And unfortunately, because they've been playing five guards and five out, you know, we got another, and we talk about this, this is another rant. I don't know how your defensive player of the year and people can hunt you on mismatches. I can't, yo, bro, tell me, square that circle. I'm not saying he's a bad defender because he's a really good, he's an elite rim protector. Okay. Elite. I don't understand how your defensive player of the year and teams will attack you and be successful. I don't know how that works. Tell me how that works. Cause Draymond green, guess what people don't do against him. They don't attack him ever. Anthony Davis. They don't attack him ever. Giannis. They don't attack Giannis. Giannis. You could say, Hey, he's not defending him, but nobody goes at Giannis because they know what he is with him. Gobert. It's like, we just need to get him in space and we get him tap dancing. I don't, Utah needs a small – Utah is getting small ball to death, I think is a big thing. Lou, I think, hit his stride in that Dallas series where he's kind of figured out, I can play these five guards and I'll be okay. Um, and, again, they, the teams that would probably beat them, in one case in the Lakers at Denver, no, are not healthy enough to do it. So, Yeah. And even looking at um, – you know, you look at the offensive – sorry, defensive rating for the Clippers or the Jazz versus the Clippers. 100 in the regular season offense, uh, defense rating, 121 for the Clippers in this series in terms of uh, Utah giving up 121. They're giving up 49% from the floor, 41 from three. And to your point, the three-pointers defended by Gobert in the regular season, four in the regular season. It's up to 10 in the first five games. And, and I said it, like we talked about this on the last pod, them playing Zubots, it allowed for him to kind of hover around. But even watching that game, it seemed like they got him in the space rather than, hey, Paul George, attack downhill and see if you can draw uh, Gobert. And like you said, that guy's got long arms. He, he doesn't really move out of the way. He's saying, hey, I'm big. I'm just going to protect the rim. Whereas now they're saying, hey, we're going to blow by you. Guys are able to generate threes. And I think that slight adjustment has just made a difference in the series. And of course, for Donovan Mitchell, he doesn't look right, man. He, he's kind of hobbled. You can see when he lands, he's favoring. He's starting to land on his opposite uh, leg more. Yeah. He may be overcompensating there. And they're trying guys like George Niang, who 
he's not he's really serious. He's, yeah, he's, he's played trash all series. Yeah, they got Ilya Sova on that bench. That's a guy I'm surprised they haven't really tried. I forgot he was there oh. too, but I'm surprised they haven't even tried. I don't know if you're talking, but you froze. Oh, no. Nah. Uh, yeah, you froze too. Nah. Nah, we're good now. Okay, good, good. Yeah, we're good now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I'm surprised they haven't tried Ilya Sova maybe as, like, a, a stretch five. He's, he's a guy who can maybe you can run some stuff through in terms of getting Mitchell going. And they've just been able to trap. And I, I feel bad for Mike Conley. Seems like he's another guy who just runs into injuries as well. He would definitely take the load off of Mitchell. And he's not just get he's not getting to the rim anymore because, one, I, I think there some, – some is kind of a lack of creativity because I think, for me – Utah is kind of trying to attack them one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, we're going to attack this guy. He's the weakest link where the Clippers are doing a great job stringing the floor. They live with the threes in the first half. They were down, what, six or eight points at halftime. But to me, I, I thought that wasn't going to last. And I thought it was a good game plan because like you, you've said about Jordan Clarkson, he's not a guy who creates. They don't have a lot of action where you have to over-rotate. Yeah, and then their the the key to their success was getting you to rotate, right, and getting you out of matchups. And part of the reason they could do that is because they had a healthy Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, right? They could create pressure points. I don't think the one thing, like as much as I'm giving compliments to Lou, and I think he's been doing a fantastic job from game from game three on, just kind of like we're just going to push and trap Mitchell. Is that if they had Conley, I don't know how successful that trap works because that's another ball handler. If you reverse the ball, he would, you know, make things happen and get Gobert dunks. I do think they're missing him, but I still think, I still think I would have lent, leaned the Clippers even if Conley was playing and Kai, and obviously if Kawhi's playing. I think if Conley's playing and Kawhi's out, I think I would lean Utah. But Utah to me is a wing defender away still. Um, and and you need Conley with the way the Clippers have been aggressively trapping. You need a second ball handler to like alleviate Mitchell, who just he just doesn't have his burst right. Like you could see it, um, he's second guessing himself. Like you said, once you start thinking about landing, um, that's an issue for any athlete. You know, it's like um, that's usually a sign of injury or a sign of age, um, and he's too young to go through that. So I'm thinking it's an injury issue, and so I. I they could still win this series because, you know, maybe PG doesn't show up, but I think, you know, I'm going to give Lou a lot of credit. Cause like he's, he's played Terrence man. He's played guys that were out of rotation. Marcus Morris looks like a brand new player playing under him. Like, um, you know, they use Rondo in spots. Sometimes you don't play. And I think that's the difference between him and a guy like doc is Lou. The one thing I was respecting with Cleveland, like he was always like, yo, if your name's not LeBron, like, I don't care if you're going to play Kevin love. Yeah. You'll sit. You know what I'm saying? Like, we'll do whatever we need to do to win games. And uh, so I think the Clippers put this series to bed probably in game six just because if Mitchell isn't healthy, I don't think there's enough firepower. Yeah, there's just not enough pressure at the rim, especially, like I said, he's been favoring that leg. Um, and I really think that that's a concern. But before we wrap things up with this series, who do you think in the West uh, – you have maybe coming out of there because I know you said the East has been kind of yeah I'm pulling my hair out or <laughs> whatever I got uh <laughs> but yeah yeah it's if, been it's been a weird weird uh year of course but. if if um and this is what I mean this is what I mean like even talking about this if Kawhi comes back somehow then it's the Clippers I feel um if he doesn't then it's the Suns 
and assuming that, and again, that's assuming uh, Chris Paul can play. So if Chris Paul can play and blah, blah, if everyone's fully full strength, I think the Clippers have some of the wing presence. And I think they'll, they might actually be able to get um, Aiton moving in a way that um, other teams good couldn't though. And they might be able to gum up some of their pick and rolls with their length. Um, though I don't, I'm, I am worried about Aiden kind of destroying them in the post. I like, I, they're in a catch 22 because to me, if it's Aiden and Zubac, great. They might cancel each other out, except now you got healthy Chris Paul and Devin Booker picking on Zubac all day. You can't, if Devin Booker and like we talked about this, this high 30 foot trap stuff they've been doing, you can't do that to Booker with Chris Paul on the other side, because if he gets the ball, you don't want him in a three on and a four on three because he will always make the right read or Booker whose playmaking is, is gone insane. So to me, it's like, you're asking me to again, and this is an indictment of the season. I don't know who's going to win because it depends if, if the Clippers are healthy, I think it's them. Um, if it's not, then I think it's the Suns. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, or we could have Hawks and Hawks and jazz. And we can, and I can be totally wrong, and that's a series I will not be watching. <laughs> so, as as we record this, uh, it is confirmed. Omar predict uh, Hawks, Hawks Jazz, Jazz. Hawks, Hawks and Jazz. Jazz. Salt Lake, worst finals since '05. We're gonna see Trey Young host the championship. You're gonna see it first, bro. Yeah, with the uh, an Angolan Swiss uh, center. There you go, man. <laughs> and, and, and I hope it happens in Utah too, just because I know how that'll end. But uh, have anything else to talk about before we wrap things up, man? No, I think we went. We went. We went an extra. I don't think we need to go overtime today because the you know that out of time segment was like a first half of a game, man. I feel like I feel like Patrick queuing in the fourth quarter right now, just. <laughs> Sweating it up, yo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to thank Omar once again, taking time out of his evening to join me on Daniel's Den of Hoops. You can follow me on Instagram <laughs> at Daniel's Den of Hoops. Um, <laughs> you can email me at danielsden.hoops at gmail.com. Shout out to that DWW. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stop recording. Take care, people. <laughs>